0: One of the great truths of life is if you want answers, you have to ask questions. And there are some questions I think are really important worth asking. Who am I? What is my purpose here? How do I want to spend my time that I have in this living experience? What is this living experience? What is this? These may seem like big philosophical questions, that are impossible to answer, with no real answer, that even if you did answer, wouldn't change anything. And I'll rebuttal by first agreeing, there is no real answer. The answer is your decision. We are creative conscious creatures with the ability to create narratives, to create constructs, and to draw our own meaning, and to decide, how it all fits in one piece. And whether or not you consciously create these things or let the unconscious create it for you, these questions will be answered. So if you don't analyze and ask and try to figure out who you are, what your values are, what your ideals are that you want to strive to live to, and even how you choose to experience this world that we all share, your conception of it, well, they will be created for you based off the things that happened to you and the experiences that you've had in a very reactionary way. And I would urge you to use that creative force to start asking these questions daily. Not because you need the answer, but because the process Of answering these questions I think will improve your experience here. One of the things I'm working on and have been working on is like a code. What virtues and values are important to me? What way of living in the world works best for me? Do I want to be a materialist and believe that I am a bunch of Atoms and molecules and tissues that somehow have become this. That the right stars exploded in the right way that led to a chunk of space rock flying through space with the right materials to somehow create single cells that eventually became tetrapod fish that decided to swim on land, develop lungs, turn into monkeys only to become slightly more coherent naked monkeys on this giant flying space rock or that I am a part of the world in a way that can't be seen materially but something more spiritual I think if you've been listening to the podcast you you have a general idea of my spiritual views how they help guide my experience and I've tried both ways I personally do better when I believe that you and I are connected and part of something bigger. But the point of this introduction is not to get you to think the way I think or believe what I believe. I don't think that's part of my purpose here. My purpose is to help you fall deeply in love with yourself and create a new relationship with yourself and your intuition. And here's the truth. Nobody has the answers for you nobody. We may have lived experiences that help you find the answers, but the answers for you and for your life are something that you have to find. Not ignorantly, seek out information, seek out alternate opinions, but to do the process in a way where you trust the answer that you've come to And understand that it is the right fit because you've developed your intuition in a way where you know what it feels like when you're on the right path. And so I am not going to tell you how to think or who to vote for or what party politically you should be affiliated with. These are things that you will come to on your own through your experience and if you decide to through your own conscious Inquiry and exploration and you coming to your own code and Deciding who you want to be and what values you want to represent and to hold those So if life has distracted you from this search From this experience that is your lifetime and you may have gotten wrapped up in the day-to-day Getting the laundry done watering the plants doing the dishes feeding the kids getting to work making enough money paying the bills all that stuff Welcome back. I have a little treat for you, which is a conversation with an author and musician and spiritual seeker named Michael Gunger, who wrote a book that I listened to as an audiobook, which I think really is the way to listen to it, called This. And this is a conversation about his life, about what he thinks life is. It's pretty wide ranging and it happens to be recorded before the uh, modern era, (laughs) let's call it. So it's not preoccupied with um, some of the things that are taking up a lot of our energy now, but it's full of a truth that is still there for you today despite the current situation of the world. The truth of you and your experience in this world and your journey of getting to know yourself getting to fall deeply in love with yourself, getting to grow and mature and become more you and more connected to you and learning how to express yourself as you and create as you to help share your you-ness with this world, which is what the world needs right now. The world doesn't need for you to parrot somebody else's ideas about the world, or for you to act as a soldier for some other general. The world needs you to be a free thinker, to value your own opinion and intuition, and to feel confident enough to share it, even when it goes against the grain. So here is a conversation with somebody who I've come to deeply admire as a deep thinker. Which I am calling What Is This with Michael Gunger? Hey. How's it going? Pretty good. This is the first time uh I haven't used my own equipment.
1: It it's funny being interviewed on my equipment for somebody else's podcast. It's kinda of fun.
0: Yeah, good. A little switcheroo here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always start the same way, and this can be as big or small of a question as you'd like, but who are you?
1: I'm like, who do you who do you want me to be? <laughs> Who are we talking to? Are we talking to um, who am I? I am first the all that is, and then after that I am this, the guy that you're talking to here is a musician, lives in Los Angeles, and a husband, father, friend, a silly, silly person.
0: I love asking very spiritual people that question because they just get chipped up on it. And they're like, oh, are you well,
1: gonna, are you gonna you wanna- make me be shallow?
0: Yeah, yeah, we're going to make you be shallow.
1: (laughs) I don't think of myself, I don't feel myself to be just this body anymore, Yeah, which is why I answer the question, like, who do you want, what are we talking about? Because it's not part of my experience of every moment to say, I'm just this guy. That is my whole, that is what I spend every moment that I'm mindful and conscious doing is being aware of this body but moving consciousness into this body but as an invitation into this moment not as a it used to just be flipped around where i was this separateness trying to find spirituality trying to find transcendence trying to find the ultimate truth beyond it felt like it was supposed to be outside of myself outside of my body and then that all reversed so i move into this body with consciousness but i don't identify as it
0: so i know you're a musician Right, I know that. You want something? I haven't listened to a single song. That's fine. I read, I uh, listened to your book though. Oh, you did? Okay, fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I listened to it. This is funny. It was recommended by my mom, which you know. Yeah, I feel like for most people, like you got a cool mom. She is pretty cool. Well, she knows a good book at least. Yeah, I'm so glad I listened to it too because it was a whole experience. I loved the whole thing. Wow! I loved all the sounds in the background. So
1: you you listen, so. You kind of heard some of my music because I scored it.
0: You did all of it.
1: I did all of it. There you go. I listened to some but of your it, music. But it's not my... Yeah, it wasn't my uh, artist music, but I scored that. So. Yeah. Thanks for listening. That's cool.
0: No, I, I'm super... We own a Kindle version and then we own the audio version Oh. collectively at Hello Humans. And um, the audio version, I feel, is the way.
1: I kind of feel that's... That's the way. That's where I feel is the most definitive version to me because I'm such a musical... Like that's my primary kind of language is musical in a way. So even how I write, I feel like being able to put that into audio feels more natural to what I was trying to do. Putting it into a printed word, it's like the rhythm of that and the the pacing of it and everything. It to me, it does feel the more definitive version to be listened to. So I'm happy you were able to listen to
0: it. So I think before we get into Michael Gunger, the all-knowing spiritual I'm giant. I'm not all-knowing. The no- the, <laughs> the know-nothing, one spiritual giant. I'd love to start with just how, how you got here and a little bit of where you came from because yeah. your before is just as interesting as the after.
1: Yeah, the before was quite a drama. It was, um, I grew up in Wisconsin, central Wisconsin, a little tiny town called Marshfield. And uh, my dad was a pastor, a Puerto Rican. Like charismatic weird dude with this afro that we lived we lived away on the side like the way edge of town we're like the weird church in town um, in a very white Lutheran conservative town and uh, so I always kind of felt on the edge of my world you know, we never I never felt like I really belonged in Marshfield and then grew up uh, playing music and extreme in my religious fervor and zeal. I was, you know, the kid, I was always going on missions trips and fasting and I never, I was never dated anybody until I did one other girl before my wife and I kissed her hand once. And that was a little too far for us. (laughs) So I I was, I was a zealot. And then as I began to, like, I, I wrote music within the church and worship music and we began to tour that and and that started getting some notoriety and started getting some success with our music. And as that was all happening, I was kind of like, my faith was crumbling. Um, I was so idealistic always. And then I, I would see how my idealism didn't match up to the world and how things like we were supposed to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. So why weren't we <laughs> like in practical things? as it actually came down to how we were living and how we were being in the world.
0: Yeah. Just real quick. What, what were the things that felt at odds with being the salt of the earth?
1: Yeah. I mean, I felt like we're supposed to, we're supposed to be the embodiment of love of God's love. And of Jesus said, they'll know you by your love for one another. But as I looked around and saw how it was, I didn't see that. I didn't, where is this special love? Like I saw that we had higher divorce rates than the world. I saw how, the church treated my family when my dad had an affair, which that by itself was a whole thing for me, obviously feeling betrayed by the guy who was like my spiritual hero and the center of my religious uh, world. He was the pastor and my dad and the worship leader actually. So all that, and then seeing how the church responded to him and these people that I thought were supposed to be, they were kind of the ideals of "This this, this is the salt of the earth. This is the light of the world. These people And then seeing how a little bit of stress turned them into inhumane, fearful, immature destroyers of lives. (laughs) And then seeing behind the stage and seeing all the, just it's how much business, how much it was just like, it it was about numbers. All these places would go, it it was just about getting butts in seats and getting their tithes. And there'd be these offhanded comments that just felt so distanced from the Jesus that I thought we were there to serve. And so it just started, there was that element of it. There was the theological elements of, you know, I was taught that it was a young earth that was created in seven days, and then went to college and read science <laughs> books. So like, how, what? I thought, I was taught that the scientists that taught about the universe being billions of years old were, were there was no good science for that, it was just was, anti-religious sentiment that had been turned into pseudoscience but then when you like when i had to cite some papers for college offering multiple viewpoints and i was trying to write a paper about my younger <laughs> theology <laughs> it became quickly evident evident which uh which resources were adjusting the science for their religious point of view and it was opposite what i what i had thought so there was that there was meeting gay people and having to come to terms with that my world said they were going to hell and be like, can that be, how could that be? Like, this is a good person. God's going to burn them forever. In fact, just thing after thing, the wall started crumbling and I tried to like hold it up with paste of little theological fixes and little changing of definitions in my head and the problem of evil was always there for me. And I was always trying to come up with slightly more nuanced theology that reset, you know, reframed the question of why does God allow evil in the world? To, like, well, even the, you know, I, I was trying to always go philosophically more nuanced, deeper to figure it out. And I couldn't, I could never figure it out.
0: The book covers that struggle really well about how, like, you kept coming back to, you kept coming back to the holocaust yeah right and you saw auschwitz and it had a huge impact on you mm-hmm. i had a similar change of heart mm. at, you know where i was raised christian my mom still is a christian mm-hmm. just was not as radical of yeah. a version of christianity so gays made sense and mm-hmm. so did fossils but <laughs> yeah which
1: is big it's a big deal
0: i mean yeah so that, i had For that.
1: somebody who didn't have that it's like hey, you're lucky that's a
0: i had some great robust faith afforded to me yeah um but what happened is i was a a, a shy and scared kid and religion and jesus and god really helped me mm-hmm. you know especially when i was terrified of death from a young age mm. and when i was out being a meth head, mm. like Jesus and God were so pivotal, so pivotal to how so to me reconciling why. Oh my gosh, like I just had a gun pulled on me and I'm alive. Thank you, oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah, like being ordained, mm-hmm. you know, being somehow protected. Therefore, I would, I was okay in this very not okay situation. Mm-hmm. And my, uh, my come to Jesus, maybe not believe in Jesus moment was when I got sober.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Come to Jesus, not believe in Jesus. Yeah, that's I like that,
0: and not that you know. I'm not I'm not like Chris Christopher Hitchens. I love Christians, obviously. Yeah. My mom's one, so I just I don't have a strong opinion, and I don't feel like I need to know, you know, wh- whether what is, yeah. what is true in the whole scenario. Yeah, uh, then I was an atheist for four years. Okay, like you had an uh-huh. atheist period, and then there was a time where I had to reconcile my friends who had something, anything bigger than themselves. We're just doing better than me. Mm. And that's when I started to kind of dip my toe into some other ideas rather than just nothing. Mm. So that's that. But one of the big parts of your life is, so I didn't have the Christian community. Yeah, I didn't have Christian friends and community. When I left Christianity, it was like my college buds were just like, Well, we're glad you're not smoking meth anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That was
0: about all they cared about. Wow. But when you left, it meant leaving everything behind. And that's terrifying.
1: It was terrifying. Honestly, looking back at it, I think that's more of what was... Like, in the time, I thought it was all about the ideas. I thought it was about me being smart and being able to really have a a wiser view of the world, a more, more nuanced theological, philosophical, whatever view of things. But I think underneath that there was like, but I really want my dad to be proud of me. Yeah. And I really want my friends to like me.
0: And then you are disappointed by your dad.
1: Yeah, and, and so that struggle between I don't want to let this go because I don't want to lose my social network. I don't know, I just think it all gets tied together. So many times we, we have this idea of ourselves as these rational creatures that have these high lofty, like I'm just, I believe, I believe what I believe because I, I've i made it based on the best evidence and, what, you know, and it's a lot of times it's just, I'm afraid to leave my tribe.
0: Yeah, see, my dad was never a deity in my life. Like I never, mm. I, I never idolized my dad, but, upon his death the more truth came out the more disappointing it kind of got mm. it, it's painful and i see that like in recovery a lot too where like people will make the program their higher power right as opposed that's not what they tell you to do but they'll just make it this thing that is perfect and then they get really let down by it mm. and that that causes a lot of pain mm. so what is this right that's the title of your book but but yeah. what is what are, where are we <laughs> what is this
1: that's the funny thing that we do with with as humans like we create these models of this in our head that we can use to try to control this so and they're they're really effective tools like one example i use in the book is a waterfall you think of a waterfall and it can be like this concept it can be a thing in your head and that's really useful if we're on a kayak trip, and I'm like, hey, there's a waterfall ahead. That's all I have to say for us to be able to, okay, we'll take the kayak out and move around. I don't have to, I don't have to try to teach you about gravity or or be like, you know how this liquid, sometimes it like moves in this direction towards my feet in long distances. That happens up here. It can just say a waterfall. It's a concept, it's a quick concept that's really effective and efficient to controlling the outcomes of what comes next and it's helpful but it's not necessarily true there's not if you think of a waterfall it's not a thing it's not a, it's not a static object it's a constantly shifting moving evolving pattern of energy to the degree that you can see a pattern like we see patterns of energy as humans A very narrow band of the energy that's happening all around us. We're not seeing all the neutrinos flying through us right now. We're not seeing all the dark matter and dark energy and the ultraviolet light and the x-rays and the radio waves and all all the stuff, almost everything that's happening, we're not seeing. But we see this very narrow band of energy that is basically the band of energy that we can use to survive and make babies that we need to see in order for that to be most effective. And so we perceive this pattern of water and it kind of looks like a thing even though that thing that it was, as you look at it, is now gone. Like, well, they're, all that water that you just saw, now that's down the river. And Now it's a new thing. But we see enough, We see it enough from our band of energy, our little place in the universe. Was like, yeah, I can kind of see this similar thing happening. It's a waterfall. And so this constant change becomes a thing. I think that's what we do when we think about reality as a whole. We think about anything, if you're thinking about it, if you're saying that, even this, I, I use the word "this" to make it as indefinable as possible, <laughs> because as soon as you define it, even by saying this, you're thinking of it. And if you're thinking of it, it meaning all that is what what's happening, this this moment with all that is arising in this moment. As soon as you make a construct of it, now you're now you're dealing with a construct and not the thing itself. There's a layer of Distance between you and what's happening—a mental construct that's sort of we use to keep us safe, but it's also that thing that makes us suffer because it's what uh, that distance between us and our lives, between us and this moment, and all the all of this moment, where we feel like this isn't what it should be. It's that little buffer of mental construct that we go, "Oh, the world is not as it should be." My life is not as it should be. And so I'm gonna use these ideas to try to make it other than this. Again, practically useful. With that, we've been able to build countries and militaries and houses and relationships and all sorts of stuff. Some good, some bad. But it's not at heart true, meaning the model can never be the thing. I think that's what it's saying in the, when, it's, when the Tao says, the Tao that can be told is not the true. Dao.
0: It's unsayable. Yeah,
1: it's unsayable. So as soon as you say it, as soon as you think of it, as soon as you describe it, you're starting to leave it a little bit. But what else can we do? So it's fun. You can do it. it's it, That's written in the like the Tao Te Ching is written. It's talking about the Dao at the same time, realizing if you're conscious that your constructs are not the whole thing, but they're part of it. Then you don't have to fight constructs. You don't have to avoid constructs. You don't have to to be spiritual. It's not like you, you, I I didn't have to answer that first question. So awkwardly to be spiritual. I didn't have to be like, when you say, who are you? I don't have to say, I'm the all that's ridiculous. I don't, I could say, hi, I'm Michael. Uh, but I knew this was a spiritual podcast and I was just kind of playing and seeing where we would go with it, but you don't have to push away the constructs. But the more I think in my experience that you're aware that there's a construct happening, the more that you're aware that this is a thought and not, not the full truth itself, doubting your thoughts rather than just believing them as being the ultimate truth of the universe. For me, it kind of helps my hands stay open. It helps my heart stay open to the moment of all that is, including my desire for what is to be different. So here's all of this and it's all perfect, including my desire that I'm hungry and I want to get lunch. And it's, it's almost, it's a move for me this the kind of spirituality that I'm trying to describe in the book is a move towards yes. It's just like a a resounding yes to what is and a surrender to all that is in a way that for me allows me to not fight within myself of second guessing my experience where it kind of can keep me from, you know, if I'm here with you, and sitting here with you but at the same time trying to think of how this podcast is going to affect people's perception of me it kind of removes me from this moment a little bit so as much as i can be present in the moment my life gets richer and my experience of the moment gets richer
0: on a less metaphysical level (laughs) i was talking to somebody and they're basically saying yeah you know for your personality type like there's a lot of problems with being special you know, and being talent and feeling talented, and like it causes a lot of self sabotage. And mm. the real antidote is to just be ordinary and average,
1: mm.
0: right? It's like the second you can enter ordinary and average, you're gonna start self sabotaging less. Interesting, because you're. The, it's like that whole pressure that you've built up for yourself, which is all the constructs yeah. and story that you're some genius, and yeah, now, yeah. Now need to produce some new next level genius shit, yeah. Is gone, and now your only job is just to be ordinary and average. That's great. Which is. My greatest fear, probably. Yeah. One of them.
1: Do you know about the Enneagram? Are you a four? Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just crushed by the weight of weight of my talent. <laughs> so I'm going to back up. Yeah, I'm going to cut funny. this cut this back further because I realized I jumped the gun. I just was dying to ask that question. So pretend we were ten okay. minutes ago. We're trapped. Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> Magic of editing. So. I don't think that I properly captured what your life was, or or led you to capture what your life was, which was an incredibly successful Christian singer. S- so we can start with your dad, which yeah. is that he is the pastor of a megachurch, mm-hmm. as you said. And one night he doesn't show up. It turns out that he's just decided to leave your family. And apparently his whole life behind for another woman. And after some... Coaxing and praying and the family trying really hard, he ends up coming back, but it's this it's this moment that can never you can never put the toothpaste back in the tube mm. because the church that he started now turns their back on him mm. Your mom and him are now pariahs, they're not mm. even welcome there, and you're expected to kind of carry on and so from that point, is that when the is that really the first time that the the boat got rocked? But you were kind of questioning it before then.
1: Yeah, I was kind of questioning it before then. That was the, that was the, that's when the heart really got involved in the deconstruction more probably. Like the thoughts, I'd already been doubting literal creationism. I'd already been doubting a lot of my biblical literalism. And a lot of that was just kind of, it didn't make sense to me. Like why it, it didn't add up logically to me. The wound that happened with that, with my dad's thing was. It's interesting because I, I did some EMDR therapy, which I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like rapid eye movement stuff for the for trauma, for trauma. And they kind of trace back through how different memories and stories get woven together in your brain. And so following the path of some of that stuff that happened with my dad led me to this memory, which I ended up putting in the book too, of, of Daisy, that girl uh, who uh, she wanted to kiss me and I felt. I wanted to see her naked. We were little, we were like five years old or something. And as that was all starting to happen, nothing happened, but my, because our parents walked in. And the shame that, that, that was the first shame that I remember feeling. It was like this deep wound of like, oh no, I, I'm like perverted. Dirty. I'm a dirty, like at heart, what I really want, my curiosity about the world And experiencing the world and what my body wants to experience is untrustworthy and dirty and shameful. And it, I need to be more like my dad Mm -hmm. who is, who's obviously above that kind of thing. And then finding out that he had the affair was it, my wounds turned on themselves. Like I had two different kinds, like they were in the same zone, but there was, there was like a. An odd alchemy to them. As far as I, I both felt worthless and that I needed to be like my heroes, but then my heroes weren't to be trusted either. So there's just just, there was kind of a hopelessness. Yeah, about
0: that. There's a real truth to don't meet your heroes. Mm -hmm. I've learned that on this show sometimes. Mm. Where there's people that I just love their work and you meet them in person and they're just not who you thought they were. Mm. Not necessarily in a bad way, but it's crushing all the same. And trauma, my favorite definition of trauma is just anything that shatters your worldview. Mm. And so we're creatures of narrative and meaning. We write a world for ourselves. So if you write the world that people can be trusted, dad is an honorable man, and he ends up not being out, your whole worldview is fucked now. Mm-hmm. Now you gotta rewrite it, yeah. even if it's not convenient at the time. Yeah. And also the fact that the Christian organization couldn't find forgiveness, Yeah. Right. which is a, supposed to be a major tenet of it.
1: And when you're in that stuff, it's so... Hard to see what's going on because you, it's one thing to like look back at it and see how these things were related, but I had no idea how any of that was related. It just hurt, it just was terrifying and felt like the world was falling apart. Um, not knowing even how that was affecting, I didn't have any su- suspicion that that would affect my theology in the long run. No, it, it, I wouldn't think that would be true at all. Um, or affect my other or how I view our marriage or how I, I mean. When you're in it, it's just like terrifying. And it's all their fault. And their fun is, yeah, I don't know. I'm really grateful for coming across people in my life through the years, like Hillary McBride, who's on our podcast, Literature's podcast, or different people who have like taught me the value of things like therapy, (laughs) spiritual practice, things that help you take a step back from the chaos of the, of the moment of the actual, like emotion and storm of the moment to kind of just talk about it. It's, it's sort of in a funny way, there's a paradox to it because this whole, the book, this, and I'm talking about like not having those filters, but you need those filters. Sometimes you need like sometimes, especially in these kind of trauma moments to be able to step back and make, put a, a distance between you and this moment it can be really helpful and it can give you a safety. In a, in a moment where you feel like you're going to die, to step back and to name emotions, to name experiences, to name pain can be a super helpful part of growing. But then it comes to a point, I think, where the labels and the distance are no longer necessary. And when you can integrate all that into just the experience of now, to me, that tension and that paradox between using constructs but not being trapped by them <laughs> Yeah, That's kind of like, I think it's. Basic.
0: I think it is a balance. Because ultimately for me, there's such a small window of time here. I'm already 30. My hair is thinning. <laughs>
1: Looks pretty good from here. Thank you. It's all,
0: <laughs> it's, just a, it's all a lie. <laughs> <laughs> don't look too closely. I don't know. <laughs> and I think that there's a benefit to really, to both, to the material and to the narrative and to the, mm-hmm. losing the narrative. For instance, I mean, you know, you meet some really out there non-dualist and you just go that doesn't look like fun i don't know yeah i don't know it looks hard and cool but not how i want to live you know and so i think there is just a balance to it and using it i think the first noble truth should be edited and it should say life is suffering but if it feels like torture go get help you
1: know i like it yeah (laughs) That's great. I think that there there's non dual. I don't know. There's things that go around in in the mask of non duality that I call bullshit on. As far as because if if you're being non dual in a way that prescribes something other than what is, it's not non dual. If it's like, well, we've got to get to non duality, what? <laughs> <laughs> If it's not just a blind it's not just not blind, that's the wrong word. If it's not a radical acceptance of what is and love of what is, including your physicality and your contradictory thoughts and your trauma and your healing of your trauma. If it doesn't if there's parts of your experience that you're cutting out because you're trying to be non-dual, that is not non-dual. I can
0: dig it. So after the the thing with your father, you try Bouncing around a couple other churches. I think you start a church. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're trying to find a way to make sense of it's like just like we said with the trauma, you're trying to rewrite everything to fit together again, just with now the new information that say evangelical or whatever it was, mega church isn't it. So it must be something else. Mm-hmm. And eventually it comes to a head with the spa moment. Mm-hmm. Which can you just catch the listener up who doesn't know the spa moment? Yeah. Just, it it literally all comes up to a head. And I have a spa moment too. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at a spa yeah no in a locker room
1: that's awesome yeah i want to hear that i'm a big fan of hot water anytime that was something i learned from a therapist years ago that for my particular personality type getting into my body in ways that anyway whether it's through exercise or hot water or just going on a walk can be is really helpful for me because i can get stuck in thought patterns and loops stuck in my head so i went to a a spa to try to get my body and get out of these crazy thought loops that have been feeling like they've been ruling me, which was, a lot of them were theological. A lot of them were like, is God real? Is is God love? And is if so, why is the world like it is? And I, I've been living in this way. I, I tell people and write songs about how we're supposed to be loved for the world, but what basis in reality do I have to say something like that? Stuck in all these loops. So I went there, I was trying to meditate, I was trying to pray. And then there, it kind of culminated in this desperate moment where nothing, none of, it, none of it was working. Meaning, I just couldn't get out of my head. So then I got on my knees in my in this bathrobe on the spa floor and started trying to do this Muslim prayer, <laughs> which I had seen. Because you
0: had tried everything, else. everything else,
1: <laughs> everything else I knew. <laughs> I forgot that detail. <laughs> I was like, I got nothing. I don't know what the Bahai people do. If I knew, I would try that. Uh, but but and because my you saw it in Homeland, Homeland. <laughs> That's the level of desperation we're talking. Just pulling at straws. Like wh- what else? I can't think of. I saw that show Homeland. Maybe maybe the Isla- maybe Islamic people have something to. Like maybe I'm just so proud as a Western product of the Enlightenment that. I think getting down and bowing seven times a day to Allah is primitive or something. Maybe that. Maybe that's what it is about. <laughs> so, and then in that, I just kind of saw, it was like I saw myself f- from the bird's eye view. Like, look at the, how pathetic, look at this guy. He doesn't know, he's just, he's resorted to like appropriating a culture that he has no no, no knowledge of. <laughs> he's just like... <laughs> just blindly throwing a hook into the ocean, hoping that he gets a fish. Why? What are you so afraid of? And there was this kind of like realization, if God is real, if any of this that I hope is real, that God is love, that there's some sort of reason to put love before fear in life, if there's some sort of beauty to this that's more than just dead billiard balls banging into each other of molecules and atoms. And it's just kind of meaningless chaos. I was, I I was like, if there's anything to any of that, if there's a river here, that's, that's flowing somewhere, maybe that river's good. Any God I would believe in at this, at that point, I'm like, is not going to send me to hell for not believing in her (laughs) or him or they, or whatever you want to say. I, I was done with any the guy in the sky that's going to be like oh, I'm insecure and I need you to worship me and believe me. I was done with that a long time ago.
0: I call him Sky Daddy. Yeah, Sky Daddy. That's <laughs> pretty
1: good. <laughs> but I was like, I don't. The God I would want to believe, if I would believe in, doesn't need me to believe in him. So, what if I just let go, and just stop worrying about this, and let the let the mystery be the mystery, and not deal with this anymore? Just assume there's nothing. What would that be like? And so I just let it go. And it was beautiful. It was absolutely this tremendous amount of freedom. All of a sudden I was like, I'm just going to assume that I'm an ape made of dead molecules. <laughs> you know, like whatever, just, just atheistic. Even though that, that was kind of, I, I, I would have had to kind of put quotes around atheists because I knew, I still felt a big question mark at the heart of everything. I just wanted to, I was going to assume that it was divine or assume that it wasn't. So I'm like, if I have to assume and put a thought to it, I'm going to assume it's not. I, I still knew that I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. I just had to it. I had to, you have to assume something. You have to jump one way or the other. But just assuming that for a little while was so freeing because I didn't have to think, I didn't have to figure it out anymore. For yeah.
0: Like there's no more big brother, right? Yeah. There's no more fear or guilt or shame, which is honestly like if there was one thing about religion that I was actively would rally against it's fear it's the using of the fear guilt and shame yeah and it's prevalent everywhere it's not just religion you know advertisers do it Yep. my favorite activists do it yeah and i'm just like why why are you using fear guilt and shame and yeah. it's like to use the word it's like unholy it's just wrong. Mm. The amount of pain it causes people yeah. just to get them to believe in what, whatever. They're you're
1: effective trying. tools, but they are They're costly. super
0: effective tools, yeah. which is why it's used everywhere. Mm-hmm. But if you were to just look at kids growing up in cultures with fear, guilt, and shame, yeah. or households with fear, guilt, and shame, that's enough cause to be like, let's rework the branding yeah. of our nonprofit. It's just not the way.
1: It's harder to do it without it, but it's so much better when you can. Yeah. It's, I think. Yeah.
0: So my spa moment was ending of my atheist period, but that, mm. the, it was four years of sobriety where I was just a hardcore materialist mm-hmm. and like you, it was so refreshing. It was like refreshing for once to just be me and yeah. to do things because I wanted to do them, mm-hmm. to do good things because I wanted to do good things, to get to do bad things without fear of something really awful. Sky daddy. Sky daddy. Yeah. and. daddy. um you know, I, I return to helplessness often too. So there, it's just like a very com I get, I'm comfortable like being like, Oh no, I'm helpless. Like somebody please come help me. Mm. I am in so much pain or whatever it is. And still, you know, it's like something I'm ongoingly working through. What ended up happening is I just, I just noticed, you know, I, I'm not a scientist. I'm not worried about objective truth. I'm, So excited that people are that there are scientists that love that, (laughs) you know, and they want to figure out what cause what physics caused that. That's awesome. I love you guys. For my own little time of life, it just makes sense to care about like results. Mm. And so I just happened to notice that all my sober friends who had some kind of higher power, whether it was like the ocean or the moon or Mm. whatever, didn't matter. They just were doing slightly better than me. Mm. By slightly better, I mean like way better. Yeah, because I ended up kind of miserable. And I texted a group of guys, and I just said, today's the day, guys. Today's the day I have a higher power again. Mm. And I didn't know what it was going to be. It was just going to be anything bigger than myself. And so I was in this locker room, and I got on a knee. It was so ceremonious. I got on a knee like a football player does, mm-hmm. or I guess like, uh, like Colin Kaepernick did, yeah. like that same kind of proud stance. And I just said, God... I'm done trying to control the chaos, bring on the chaos. Whoa. Right? And I got dumped that night. Yeah. yeah. And um, not to be too mystical or put too much thought into it, but anyway, it was a four year relationship that it had basically all sobriety. It was everything to me. If anything was a higher power in my life, it was that relationship. And it was over and now it's just fucked and invested. And it's like, you asked for this and this is what happened. And I don't regret it, you know? I don't know what I'm doing when I pray. But I know that it it generally just means taking things out of my control and leaving them there rather than me taking things out of my control and then like bringing them in and trying to fix everything.
1: Mm. As you're talking about that, it made me feel the similarities between a typical sky daddy religion based on fear, guilt, and shame and a more restrictive materialism. And in both, you are cut off from your source like you are this sort of uh free floating separate something that is out of control is out of and, and there's like a, a a distance between you and the ground that you're in which is everything which god whatever you want to call it i don't know if that makes any sense but there's like a to go back to a higher power in a way, to find something that's bigger than you is to surrender. It is to plant yourself back into the soil that you're in already, but you're just kind of unaware of it. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's just an interesting parallel, I think, between sometimes really restrictive materialism and a restrictive fundamental.
0: Yeah, I think hardcore atheists and hardcore theists have a lot more in common than they realize, which is that they believe they know. Yeah. It's pretty intense. But that is what they have in common is that they're they're not agnostic. They're they're <laughs> yeah. both Gnostic in their own beliefs that they think they know what it is. And it's not my business to to judge. And you know, I think if you live a better life as an atheist, God bless you. Yeah. And if you live a better life as a theist, no the God universe bless you. Bless you.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh but for your own for your own life and your own conception, which I know is Sort of trying not to conceive, but for your own conception, how do you like to interact with that thing that is bigger than you? That thing that does connect you to the people you love and the people you hate, and the...
1: Well, that's what I was getting at when, at the beginning. I was clumsily getting at was my my experience of this. Used to be, it felt like I was this small, separate speck in the universe. This piece of matter, this body. Seeking the divine, seeking a higher power. And that's a beautiful part of life and development. But something happened in 2016. There was stuff leading up to that, but the big shift was in 2016, funny enough, at a, like a shamanic mushroom ceremony. It was like the camera reversed in a weird way and stuck. Like it was, there was, it's not that this body disappeared, obviously, and it's not that the ego disappeared. It's not even that all sense of separateness disappeared. It's that. I saw the mechanism it felt like I, I I could see the mechanism by which separateness the feeling of separateness happens it's that it is that fear kind of restriction in the body that we call the ego that sense of separateness that sense that I better I need to feel safe so I need this to be a certain way that pulling back that restriction that constriction of muscles is the sense of separateness because I felt what it was like to not have it And felt how I was like, oh wow, there is no division between anything. And then I could see like how the body wanted to constrict. And it was like just a weird flipping of the camera. And so to interact to me now with the divine, it's it's almost more accurate to describe my experience as it's not a a Michael trying to get out to the divine. It's a recognition that the divine is breathing in and as this body. And the more conscious I become of that, not just in my thoughts, it kind of starts in the thoughts for me. It started in the thought, it started as a thought, oh wow, this is all just God. That's a thought, but getting that, you can have that thought and the and that doesn't mean that the stomach acid's not gonna fire though the first time that when somebody cuts you off in traffic. Mm-hmm. My stomach might not know that it's not Michael Gunger. <laughs> you know, it's like fuck you, I'm Michael Gunger. Uh, and so, <laughs> the the body, to me, experiencing the d- divine is more about moving into the body. It's but more like becoming more embodied, more as I become more conscious of the sensations of right now and of my toes, right now, and as of. My stomach acid as it fires, if somebody cuts me off and noticing that is part of all of this and learning to love that and say yes to that, not fight it. Oh no, I'm not being spiritual. I want that person to die (laughs) rather than that. Yeah. Look at, wow. Body, body wants to stay safe. and wants that person to die because it's really mad. Yeah. That's beautiful. That person is a threat. (laughs) Yeah. But saying yes to that over time, I found the body kind of starts catching up. It's almost like learning music. Like I have these guitars on the wall. Like at first, I had to really think through everything. And it was a real discipline to like learn that chord, that E chord. And I had to think about where my fingers went. Eventually, it kind of just moves into the body, it moves into the muscles and yeah. in new, deeper ways. Where I don't have to think about the E chord when I play it now. It's just there. And over time, so to me, spiritual practice, experiencing the divine, prayer, even, has kind of reversed itself. As far as it's not, I don't feel like, It's coming from a separate me in here out to somebody else. It's the divine more fully inhabiting this body.
0: That separateness is like the great fear, right? Because that separateness is primal. It means death. Mm. If you're separate on the plains of Africa, you're dead, Mm -hmm. right? You're supposed to be part of something. Yeah. It's so funny how almost everybody felt like they didn't know what was going on as a kid. It seems like almost everybody I've ever talked to felt like, Oh yeah, I missed the handbook, as my mom says. Everybody else seems to know what they're doing. It's almost like, I think it's like a common, is that we're all worried about being separate mm. deep down.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the game we're playing as <laughs> we meaning God. Like we're, we're we're doing this separateness thing. It's a, a real sense and it's I think it's a useful sense. Again, yeah, like your Plains of Africa analogy is great because if we didn't feel the sense of separateness, why not just be, Why why run from the lion? Why fight the lion if we're just one with the lion? So it's it's a it's an important sense for us to be able to have a human experience. I'd love to talk about your whys. So why why are you an
0: artist? Like what how does it influence who you are in the meat suit? I guess we could just say when you're at, at your best and you feel like you are incorporating being part of mm-hmm. and also doing Michael. How, how do those interact in terms of you deciding what you're going to do with the time that you have here?
1: I think the funny thing about it is th- the more clear that I get about who I really am, which to me is the all, which is this. Because to put the limit on just what's inside of the skin ignores a huge part. Of what is inside of the skin without outside of the skin? What is matter without space? What is any of this body without the gravity that's holding it all together and the the atomic principles that are holding all the atoms together and making the molecules do what they do and the DNA do what it does. Like you can't cut off just the body from the universe and say, this is all you need for this consciousness, for this awareness, it all goes together. So in that awareness of who I am, the more clear it gets, the more natural the body does what it does in the same way that the sun shines. Like this kind of body, with all that it's experienced in the environment that it's in, and the thoughts that have go through its mind all the time, is a creative musical, podcasting body.
0: Michael makes music,
1: right? My, yeah. That's what Michael does. Like apple trees make apples, Michael makes music. Michael has friends that are like this. Michael wears these kind of clothes and likes this kind of food. There's not this. There's just less self-defeating energy, if that makes any sense. So the less that I feel like there's a me that's going to decide my destiny, like that there's a separate somebody in here that's, that's making the thoughts happen and making the circumstances happen, the more that there's a resignation, resignation is a kind of a negative word, a surrender, I like it better, a surrender to all that is including who this body is the body it doesn't have to fight itself so hard to like second guess every creative decision. It's just, it's, it's more quickly and easily getting in, into a flow state really. It's kind of like when there's a, and I think that takes a lot of practice and a lot of, det- you know, showing up and the, the experience of using your will, even if at the end of the day, your will was an illusion. There's the experience of it, the subjective experience of using your will to keep showing up to this moment and keep being aware and conscious. But the more that that happens, the more that I am aware that the the thoughts in my mind are not being created by the ego. There's not a me in here going, okay, for that second line of the second verse, think this and then it happens. There's not an extra step. It just happens. There's a thought that occurs, a creative insight that occurs. And who made it occur? Did Michael make it occur or did it just happen? Did my desire to choose that chord over this other chord was that an ego that decided that or is that just another feeling that came up in the body that liked this chord more than that chord? It's just happening. There's not the illusion when there's less of an illusion of somebody that's making it happen or really deciding at the end of the day, this is the kind of thoughts I'm going to think and the kind of feelings I'm going to have. It just kind of frees up some RAM. No,
0: I'm in. I love it. But so for the actual process, do you just show up every day or do you show up when you're inspired or what actually is the process? For music or? Yeah, for music, for creating.
1: Yeah. It's showing up, trusting. It's funny how the spiritual things go together because honestly, at first, music became harder for me after the camera reversed and the ego kind of got seen for what it is writing music became a little more difficult because ego was the way that I was making most of my music for all forever. Like I felt like I had something important to say, right? (laughs) I was a special somebody who was going to create some brilliant work that had something really important to say. You're a very special boy, Michael. I was a very special boy. So then when I saw that I wasn't necessarily a very special boy, (laughs) I was like, well shit, do I have anything to say? What would I possibly say? And so I really, for a while, kinda didn't have anything to say. I haven't put out a record since 2016 with words on it. I'm currently working on one, but I think there had to be a a shift in my work of like, what do I pay attention to? If I don't, if I'm not paying attention to the screaming ego going, be a special boy, be a special boy.
0: (laughs) I'm like a month in. (laughs) it's not fun yeah (laughs) or less i don't know when i heard this thing but yeah i just wrote it down instantly on my hand ordinary and average that's yeah yeah it's really helping
1: actually yeah that kind of that's really inspiring to me like making an average record yeah that would be amazing (laughs) it is i think it will i think it
0: could end up even better your wife is the same wife same wife same wife all the way through so how'd you guys grow together I am growing so much, it's almost terrifying to even imagine myself being in a relationship. Yeah. Man, who I was eight years ago is unrecognizable. Who I was a year ago is unrecognizable. Yeah. The only recognizable thing every year is my meltdown, my annual meltdown. <laughs> but, but the conscious times after that are just Yeah. So how how did you guys manage to continue to grow together? It's crazy that we're yeah. still together. I can't believe it we're is. still together.
1: Yeah. yeah I mean it's helpful that we've had so many shared experiences because we're in the same band, and you know we go on the same spiritual retreats and read a lot of the same books. like we had enough shared experience that we were both evolving, but there were definitely times, and are definitely times when we're not on the same page. And what do you like? How to how to stay together when you're not on the same page is really tough. But I think there's just been enough. We just really like each other. <laughs> really into each other. I think the the fact that like one of the things that drew us to each other was our love for God early on. And I think that even though that evolved and I lost my faith in God and for, you know, I say I lost my faith in God, but really, and even in that I was seeking truth as my primary thing. And that was God all along, whatever is most true, whatever is most beautiful, whatever is be- because I think that was at both of our hearts all the time, there's room for seeing. I don't think we see the same thing as being true right now, but we both trust that we are actually both seeking what's true. In that, there is a connection still, even if we don't wouldn't use the same words at the same time or the same constructs, there's a heart connection there and a shared value of of the good, of the true, of the beautiful. That I think has held us together.
0: I love the part in the book too where you guys have, Lu- I forgot her full name, Lulu is what I mm-hmm. wrote down. But mm-hmm. I know that's not the.
1: F- yeah, that's what we call her, Lulu. Lulu, Lu, whatever
0: you want. Lulu was born, and the nurse hands her to you and with with almost like a uh, uh, horror, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, I'm so sorry for you guys. Your daughter has Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I feel like a, a, one of the major tests of your new faith, mm-hmm. right? In the oneness and that things are as they are. I love the river analogy too that you use throughout the whole book, that it's just about trying to let the river take you to where you're going. Mm -hmm. What evolved in that one moment? Because that's where you go from theory to practice, Mm. right? It's like, I know a lot of people who are spiritual seekers. They can tell you all this stuff. It's really ugly to watch them have a meltdown. Mm. It's really ugly when they get angry. Sometimes I'm like, wow, you've just been suppressing all that shit. Yeah when you're confronted with something real, which is like, why me, right? Which is not, yeah. a, not a great question, but it's it's the first question. Mm. What was that process of reconciling this beautiful framework that you had built with this beautiful child that didn't match?
1: Yeah, mm. thank you for that question. Yeah, when you, yeah, sometimes life presents these circumstances that are so, like, there's no winning, right? You just like, you're just being like herded <laughs> with spikes on all sides to the only place you can go, which to me was this, like I couldn't, it wasn't that I, me surrendering to this moment was out of some beautiful philosophical clarity or out of some higher moral fortitude. It's like, I couldn't hold on to my own sense of victimhood or that Lucy needed to be something other than she was and get out of bed to make breakfast for the girls. Like I, I had to figure out how to like not get caught up in those loops of thought of that. This should be other than this. I'm, I'm a professional musician. I tour for a living. I can't have a kid with special needs who has to have heart surgeries and be in therapy all the time. That doesn't work. Well, so, okay, so? So what? <laughs> this is what's happening. Like, I have a kid with special needs. The fact that I can't have a special kids with special needs is not really relevant anymore. <laughs> so I can't... I'm either going to get lost in that thought, like, why me? What? What is
0: it? Well, a lot oh, of people do, though.
1: Yeah, but...
0: You had a choice. I know, I grew up without a dad. Mm. He made his choice. I had my son at 19 mm. to somebody who I'm, I don't like. Mm. I'm not happy, and I'm, I'm not saying anything that she wouldn't say. I'm not thrilled to be attached to this woman for the rest of my life. If I showed up, yeah. you made a choice.
1: Mm. You get, it didn't feel like a
0: choice. You get some credit.
1: <laughs> it didn't feel like a choice. My ego would love to take that. Thank you, yes, I'm quite a man. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> No, but the choice for me, I I know everybody's got their own things and wounds and I can't judge what some, you know, the decisions other people make. Some decisions you can be like, that's, that was a shitty decision, but, (laughs) but I don't know what it's, I'm not in their shoes, you know, in my shoes, leaving my family wasn't an option. I wouldn't, it is too, and, and, but that part of that was seeing the beauty of Lucy too. Like
0: your dad also left for a day or for a while too. Yeah, I feel like that's why I stuck around. You know, as I knew
1: what that felt like. What
0: that felt like. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But see, I don't know the 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 beauty of this little girl being able to see how perfect she was on some level. I could feel the raw beauty of her being, and feel the terror at the ideas of what that being would mean for me practically and for me. I guess yeah. I guess theoretically, I could have escaped into alcohol or drugs or sex sac- or, you know, found something to numb the pain rather than facing it head on. I'm glad. Thankfully, what it led me into was just needing to look at what was right in front of my eyes, which was her, rather than the stories. I felt like I had to, I could either choose the stories or her or or the moment that was actually happening. And that was a grace for me in my experience. So the pain and the crazy circumstances of that year because it wasn't just her birth there was all kinds of stuff happening that year introduced me to being present to a moment in a way that I'd never experienced before
0: there's no question that you recognize that Lulu is going to be a teacher to you mm-hmm. when you think about it when you think about like what this being has given you that say i i'm at least at this point in my life i'm not going to ha- have to reconcile that kind of reality mm-hmm. What are what are the, the lessons that she's really taught you that mm. make you go, God, I'm lucky, you know, to have gotten that?
1: Yeah. I mean, still, even this morning, we had a, she sings, she'll sing for hours, these little silly songs and just repeat, 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 repeat. But today on today the car, she's, Daddy Finger, Daddy Finger, where are you? And I'll go, here I am, here I am, how do you do? Like the whole way to school. And there's part of, like, I can feel in my body after several minutes of it. Like, okay, I've got, let me think about some other stuff. Let me, but just to notice how present she is and in love with the moment of just singing this song with her dad right now, This silly song over and over and over. And that's fucking, that's some Zen <laughs> practice, right? They're just continuing to sing the same stupid song over and over and over. And it's stretching for me. Yeah, and I had to consciously be like, "Where else am I going? Where else do I need to be? What else do I need to be thinking about that's more important than this?" So that was a beautiful spiritual discipline this morning on the way to school, just singing "Daddy Finger" over and over and over again. Wow! And it's just that kind of thing. I mean, she's she's wildly present to yeah. the moment. She she's and it's not all in like beautiful, healthy ways. She's be ferociously. She's also human. Yeah, yeah, and she's a she's obsessed with like she's a pickpocket she'll just come up and get my phone because she wants to watch those youtube videos with those songs and she's just she'll get obsessed about and so mad if she doesn't get her way but then she's so quickly also like will pivot she just she'll be mad as hell and then and then not
0: yeah i mean she (laughs) is you know just like you on psilocybin she's just on a different plane Mm you know she's experiencing a totally different experience (laughs) and What is it that you want to do with the rest of your time here? I love the book, Thank you. by the way. I just want to say that multiple times. Maybe, what are the things that you feel like are are important mm. to, to do with your time here? Michael, the maker, what are the things that you want to have had made if you had a say in it?
1: Kind of a silly answer, but it's, I want to find, <laughs> like, I want to really get into my third toe. <laughs> I really want to get into... The nuances of being alive, the sensations the what it is to be a body in this universe with a with awareness looking out of its eyes and feeling through its skin and smelling the smells and hearing the sounds and if i because if I can approach music like that, if I can approach music and like not just what's what's cool what's brilliant what's impressive, but if I can like how does it feel for that string to vibrate on my hand and to feel the guitar on my stomach vibrating? And what is it? What feelings does that elicit? I think when you're being that present to the to the craft that you're making, it, you tend to make different kind of stuff. Like this whole new album I'm doing in four thirty two hertz, which is like normally it's a four forty, and I'm doing it four thirty two, so everything's just a little lower than normal. And part of that, I, it's just a feeling thing. It's just a sensory thing. I'm not like being woo about thinking that that's more metaphysically anything. Just my voice is used to, and my I, my body's used to feeling a guitar resonate at 440. My vocals are used to stopping at that 440 kind of notch. So changing that, I felt like my body kind of have to adjust. And and I can. It feels a little different. And when it feels a little different, I find it's easier to be fully present to it because I'm noticing it's different I'm noticing its uniqueness so I'm interested in that like what can I create it's, it's almost more can I create in a way that is fully spiritual and fully present and fully embodied and what will the, what will that product be Will it be less concerned about being super impressive to other people Probably most of the stuff up to this point that I've made I want to be impressive but if I'm making it because it creates a feeling in my body, to make it that way. I don't know. I'm curious about what that does over time and what kind of stuff comes out.
0: What are are the practices that you do to to get to that place? I I love the sound of that kind of place of creation. Are there there anything that you do specifically to like get yourself there?
1: I mean, it's again, just the retuning. That's a little tiny thing. Um, There are times I just pay more attention to like the editor voice in my head as far as like the critic voice and just kind of be like, hey you can you can stay quiet for a minute <laughs> like inviting the critic to be quiet while i go into a flow state of lyrics and not judge every single thing that's coming out
0: you have a very intense abusive self-critic yeah yeah me too
1: yeah um so inviting that guy to just kind of hang out for a while and you'll get your chance later we can go through this again <laughs> later mm-hmm. but if you just hang out for a while and just trust that you'll get your chance at some point but just uh, try and allow my body to Get into a flow state where there's no judgment to what's coming out. No, like, oh, that's not, that's stupid. That's trite.
0: Don't just. And you can look at it critically later.
1: Look at it critically later. And yeah. look it better later. But just learning to be present with that. Whatever is happening is coming from somewhere and there's a, there's going to be a brilliance about it, even if it's not the thing that you put out later. It's um, how amazing that these brains and these bodies, what they do, what we do, it's amazing. Like we're putting melodies and words, we can remember words. <laughs> like how, do we, how do we do this? You're making melodies and it's like these complex mathematical relationships within time. And we just do it naturally. It's just like, it's amazing. It's miraculous. So just kind of being present to the beautiful miraculousness of it without having to compare it to anybody, including myself, without having to compare it to stuff that I've done. Just here's what's, what's happening. Here's the, what the body is doing. And learning to get into that state. I love that.
0: that. Yeah. I because of this podcast I noticed that all my favorite people were really ridiculously kind to themselves. Mm-hmm. Like if they like spilled water while we were getting set up, it's like, "Uh-huh, no big deal." Oh. Or if I like screwed up, they'd be like, "Ah, eh, no big deal." And so I started trying I I just had a realization that like everything I was doing was done with fear, guilt and shame. This was mm-hmm. the start of this. It was like midway through the first year And it came to a head with one of the guests being like, Hey, that's it. Like I like your plan. I was telling her a plan, but what about being nice to yourself? Mm. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I had to relearn how to work. Mm. Where like I was waking up in the morning, get up, you bum. Somebody's working Uh, hard. You know, somebody's working harder on your dream than you are. You need to get up. And it literally started with me being basically unemployable, like mid this podcast, which is unfortunate. But it was like, I could only work healthily for like an hour and then an hour and a half and then two hours before that awful voice would come back. And it's like slow. I still feel, I I don't think I could work an eight hour day without being mean to myself or getting really harsh. You know, I used to do sculpture of showing some sculpture in galleries and yeah, at some point I got That critic was allowed just a little bit too close. And I love the critic, right? Yeah, it's helpful. It helps us make great Mm -hmm. work. It helps us refine. But I am looking to doing the creative process in the Mm -hmm. same way that I show up to do work, but doing the creative process in a way that's similar, which means being probably pretty bad at something for a while.
1: Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I love how conscious you are of that happening. I mean, that's, that's beautiful.
0: You've been really generous with your time. This is the way I like to end it is if I could hand you a phone right now and just slide it across the table to you, and on the other end was Michael at whatever time you like, be when you're a kid or when you're a teenager, when you're having your worst fallout, and you could speak to that person, you'd send him him a small message. That would just help him get to the Michael that he's going to become, like the man that you've become today, or maybe just be the person that you felt like you needed Mm -hmm. in that moment. What would you want to tell that guy?
1: As hard as it may be to believe, and you don't have to believe it, but from where I'm sitting, looking back at what you've already experienced, there's not a moment of what you're experiencing that isn't perfect. There's not a moment of it that should be something other than this. It's all exactly forming in the way that it, the only way that it can. And it goes somewhere beautiful. So just enjoy it as much as you can. Savor every moment of it. Thanks for your time. Thank you.
0: That's it for today's episode. Don't forget, before you leave, this is an audience-funded program. Go to patreon.com slash howtohuman. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com. Slash how to human. Listen to the episodes early, ask a question, become a part of the community. I need you guys. It's lonely here. I'd love your feedback on episodes before they come out. But also, you can leave us a review on iTunes. And don't forget, if you'd like to hear from more of the guests or like to see what they're up to, I include all their social media and website links in the show notes, which is just the episode description. Thanks for tuning in to the How to Human podcast. Tell your friends.